This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater for Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy, uh, happy Saturday. Hope you have a good weekend. So I want to, I want to share this New York Times article here. It's entitled The Fear of Having a Son. And the whole story is about how men are men, city men. I'll get to this, but city men are scared to have sons. They're scared to have sons. What kind of men? Uh, Pajama boy men. As C.S. Lewis would say, men without chests. As Reverend James Vance called them in 1899, as we talked about last week, dribbling little doodles dressed up in men's clothes, but without a thimble full of brains in his head or an ounce of manhood in his anatomy. Those kind of men. I'll never forget, right before my son was born, Jack, he's four months now. I went to the uh, a VFW just outside of San Diego, Lakeside, country town. I might as well have been in Texas. And I was talking to some guys at the bar, and I asked for some advice. This was like two days before Jack was born. And the guy next to me said, right away, just like that, raise him to be a man. Do manly things. I said, like what? And we just all, everyone at the bar started listening all the things, hunting, fishing, four-wheeling horseback riding, rock climbing, wrestling. Let him climb trees as high as he wants. And purposefully, intentionally, teach him to be a man. What these men at the VFW were speaking of is the the wussification of America, the feminization of men. And in that culture, it's all the more important to raise a man. This is all a result of the feminist movement. Toxic masculinity, right? Where... All the problems of our society are for men. So the solution is to make men more like women. Men are violent, dangerous, bad. Therefore, they must be demasculated. Because that's what the left thinks. People think that masculinity means anger and violence and domestic abuse and misogyny. So their solution is to turn men into women. As opposed to raising boys to be actual men. Not brutes. Right? It's weird. On one extreme, you got the brute. Angry, violent, all the rest. That's not a man. And then on the other extreme, you have a wuss. <laughs> That's not a man. So, but it, so, so, so the feminist solution to having too many brutes is to turn everyone into a wuss. And I don't just mean physically. I mean physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. 
week. Well, that's not that's not the solution. The solution is to raise proper men. We don't want to take boys and and raise them to be just giant puddles of emotion. Like, cause that, that's the thing. That's what this guy goes on and talks about about how. Um, well, let me read. Uh, I wanted to, I wanted a girl mainly because I felt it was harder to be a boy in today's society. If I have a boy, I will embrace the challenge of raising a boy who can learn the power of vulnerability, even as male culture tries to make him see it as a weakness. But frankly, I hope that when I have a second child, it'll be another girl. Right. So this is what I'm talking about. Right. So we got the two extremes. We've got the brute culture that teaches boys and men to have no emotions. And then we have the other extreme, which teaches boys and men to be giant puddles of emotion. But you, you can't find the right balance. Like there's no effort to find that balance. You just got to go from one extreme to an equally, although opposite, bad extreme. So let's, let's chat about this. There's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. But there's a big difference between being vulnerable so, and, and reveling in your weakness. Being vulnerable because you think vulnerability is a virtue. And what's proper, and that is being vulnerable so that you get stronger. Right? That, that's the purpose. It's okay to be vulnerable so that you get stronger. You don't want to be vulnerable for vulnerability's sake. What, what good is that? That's nothing. Oh, I'm sad. Okay. I'm, I like sad. I'm sad. I'm just going to be sad. I'm always sad. I'm always sad. I'm weak. No, 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 no. You need to have the emotion, articulate the emotion, Work through the emotion so that you are now stronger. That's the goal. I got a minute here. Let's break this down more. There's five emotions. There's five emotions. That's it. Mad, sad, glad, afraid, and ashamed. Those are the five emotions. Mad, sad, glad, afraid, and ashamed. Each emotion has a high, a medium, and a low. So let's just do angry. That one's easy to understand. So uh, that's mad. Low is annoyed. I'm just a little annoyed. Medium is frustrated. Oh, I'm pretty frustrated. And then high is I'm a, I'm a rate. Right? Freaking out, I rate. Right, so you get the high, medium, low of, of that emotion. For uh, glad, you have low is pleased. Like, okay. Medium is cheerful. I'm in a good mood. And then high is ecstatic. I'm ecstatic. I'm over the moon. Right, so you get a high, medium, low of those. Now, of the five emotions, mad, sad, glad, afraid, and ashamed, only one of those are good. Glad, happy. So we need to teach kids and boys to understand these emotions and understand the bad emotions and know how to express them all with the goal of being able to work through them. Because when you work through a bad feeling, you add a brick to the foundation of your house that you're building that is your life. I know I'm getting deep here, but hear me out. So it's okay to raise a boy, New York Times author, to understand. It's okay to raise a boy to, that, that can say, Dad, I am sad right now because... Okay, that's being vulnerable. That's good. But you got to learn from that and then get stronger. So the feminist-led vulnerability movement is all about being sad and staying sad and basking in sadness and shouting from the rooftops about how sad you are because you're so sad all the time and I'm just so sad and then giving up on life because you're sad. What good is that? No good. Elijah is my favorite person in the Bible. The guy's a baller. Total, total, just incredible. Stands up to Ahab, the king of Israel. Calls him out. Then goes into the wilderness for a while. 
No food or water, nothing. Birds bring him food in the morning and at night, and he just trusts God. He's patient. Skipping over a few things for the sake of time, but then he uh, he goes to Ahab, the king, and he says, all right, you are worshiping Baal, the devil, right? You're worshiping Baal. I worship the real God. I'll meet you up on top of the mountain. Bring two bulls. Okay? And Elijah says, you set up one bull at your altar, and you call the Baal. You call to your God, Baal, to set fire to it. And then I'll call to my God to set fire to, to my bull. So they go up there, and, and the false prophets, the Baal prophets, they, uh, they do their thing. They start calling to Baal. Oh, Baal, please, blah, blah, blah. And all day, they're doing their thing. And Elijah, he's so cool, he's just taunting them. I just imagine him leaning up against some rocks, being like, hey, shout louder. I mean, he literally says, he goes, shout louder. Maybe Baal's, uh, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's sleeping. I don't know. Shout louder. He can't hear you. Right, so they start, the prophets are freaking out. They start whipping themselves and cutting themselves. They're frantic to get Baal to, to listen to them. And then finally, uh, after a day, they give up. So now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah's turn. And Elijah's like, ooh, uh, <laughs> uh, God, really need you here. So he has the Baal worshippers drench uh, this altar with water. Right? Cover it with water. Fill it up with water. So that when it does light into flames, they can't be like, oh, well, there's a trick. No, just cover it with water. Douse it in water. So Eliza prays and then... <laughs> The entire altar lights up in flames. So Ahab's freaked out. So he and Jezebel, the queen who really runs the show, uh, order Elijah to be killed. So Elijah runs for his life, runs for his life back into the woods and eventually falls under a tree. And he says, and this is my point. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Take my life. I'll stop the story there. First Kings 17, if you want more. But um, Elijah, my favorite person in the Bible, praying to God to kill him. pretty vulnerable. God, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Take my life. Pretty vulnerable. Is he a coward? No. <laughs> no way. Standing up to the king like that? Please. As Reverend Vance wrote, he said, this is what hopelessness, do- hopelessness does to its victims. It brings the conquerors of kings to the verge of suicide. It reduces giants to pygmies or midgets. Everyone feels this hopelessness. Shakespeare didn't think he was a good enough poet. Raphael compared himself to Michelangelo and thought he was no good. So my point is, New York Times, guy who doesn't want a son, you say you don't want a boy because culture tells him to have no emotion. And you say you'd rather have a girl because it's easier to teach them how to have emotion. No, no, no. Our society needs men who are vulnerable for the purpose of getting stronger. Because as you see, Elijah did not give up. He kept going. That's who we need to raise boys. Or how we need to raise our boys to become real. And it's so funny, this New York Times guy his biggest fear is that his son will be too tough. He goes on to say, like, his son will be too tough. He doesn't want his son to be too tough. And my biggest fear is that my son won't be tough enough. Right? <laughs> in, in today's culture, I don't think he'll be strong enough. What a, what a funny situation we have here. We both have the opposite fears. We have the opposite concerns. 
I don't think my son will have enough of a sense of adventure in today's society. I want to take a break here. I want to talk about that. How do you raise a boy in today's culture to have a sense of adventure, to be, to be fearless, to be strong, to have courage? How do you do that in today's culture of, of luxury and today's culture of be vulnerable? Like where vulnerability is, is a virtue in and of itself. How do you do that? Because it's an uphill battle. It's not just going to happen. And if you have any advice, one 888 1-888-900-3393. I got a four-month thought. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Doing the best I can, but how do you raise a boy? Because you're better than me. You've done this before. I know there's men and women listening, parents listening, who, have, uh, who, are, who are doing this slash have done this. How do you do it? How do you raise a boy in today's culture to have a sense of adventure? It's essential. It's everything. They're nothing. A boy is nothing if, if he doesn't have a sense of adventure. And then in today's culture, it's, oh, how do you feel? How do you feel? <laughs> Come on. All right, you're going to take a break. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Later. Just one more, uh, one more proof that there's, there's, it's mostly city men. I'm just to be honest. It's uh, high income, high income men don't want boys. Um, so here's the proof of this. Today, technology is just starting with in vitro fertilization to be able to choose your gender. So I don't exactly know where we are in this process, but it's enough where they have enough data um, to, to tell you what I'm about to tell you right now. And that is that, and, and also keep in mind the people doing this in vitro is super expensive. And I have to imagine that if you're choosing your gender, that it's even more expensive than just regular in vitro. But of, so that's high income people. So of those people who are choosing their gender, 80% prefer girls. 80%. That's not 60, 40, 80, 20 prefer, prefer girls. Cause they're afraid of toxic masculinity. 
God, their biggest fear is that the boys are too tough. My biggest fear is that my boy's not going to be tough enough. I'm worried that he's going to be around a bunch of kids at school that are just oh, raised to be uh, pansies. But, but I also want my, my son to have a sense of adventure. How do you do that? Slater Radio on Twitter if you have a, uh, a suggestion as well. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm reading this book about Charles Lindbergh, and I'm only, I've only gotten to the point where he made it across the Atlantic, so i still got a ways to go. But uh, talking about, uh, I read about him as a kid. Grew up in complete poverty, obviously, out in Minnesota. And he would read all night by his kerosene lantern. And he loved to read about Arctic explorers. And his favorite poet is Robert Service. And he read one poem, and he memorized all these poems. And one of his favorite lines was, This is the law of the Yukon, that only the strong shall thrive, that surely the weak shall perish, and only the fit survive. I mean, he was just engrossed in that kind of stuff. There was a magazine, like a men's magazine, Everybody's uh, Magazine in 1917. And there was a serial, so every, every week, uh, there was a story called Tam of the Scoots. And it was about a Scottish pilot during World War I. So Charles, he says he loved it because it represented chivalry and daring in my own day, as did King Arthur's knights in the stories he read uh, as a kid as well. But that was way, way back in the day, right? But then you had Tam of the Scoots during World War I. It's like, oh, like this is like now. Like I, I can live that same, you know, King Arthur's Knights story adventure today. What? And this is when he started dreaming of, of having his own plane and, and flying. And then he grew up to be one of the greatest adventurers of all time. First to fly across the Atlantic. All started when he was a boy. I just want to make sure my son has that. How do you do that? How do you do that, especially in our in our country, our, our this, this country that's so prosperous? Like we just bask in luxury, and it's it's a detriment. Too much, too much, way, way, way too much. Things are too fast. Things are too easy to get. It's a problem. So Lindbergh's dad, um, I don't think eccentric even begins it. Um, he was a congressman for a while, but that that didn't that didn't give him any uh, any perks, if you will. So the family was in Minnesota. He was in D.C. He really wasn't. He's separate from his wife, Charles's mom, and they really never talked. So he, he grew up kind of without a dad. But um, when his son turned seventeen, Charles's dad wrote him a letter, and Charles was shocked that he even remembered his birthday. And in it, he said, "I have one pride." Excuse me, I have one thing that I take pride in above all others. And that is that you are able to buck the world alone and independent. I love that quality in a person and especially in you because it was hardly forced on you. You gripped it yourself. I just want my son so badly to grip that that independence and that adventure, that adventuresome spirit. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three, ninety three. A quick example. I got a minute here, and just one more Lindbergh example. So I know every kid has uh, done the "Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet?" on every family trip, right? So just a little bit of perspective. Lindbergh was like fifteen, and he drove with his sister and his mom in a car from Detroit to L.A. It took how long do you think that took? Uh, Detroit to L.A. How long? 
how long would it take today? Like two, three days? Maybe you want to stop by the Grand Canyon, make it four? 40 days. 40 days. That's how long the trip took to get there. Here's another one. He rode his motorcycle from Kentucky. And you can imagine what a motorcycle was in 1920, right? He rode his motorcycle from Kentucky to Florida to meet his dad. He only stopped to sleep and repair his motorcycle. It kept getting beat up on the, on the dirt roads, right? He bought quarts of milk along the way. Only on the third day did he get a real meal. He ate a couple eggs. He slept on the ground under a tree on the side of the road whenever he just had to stop. His coat was his blanket. That trip, eight days. Eight days on the motorcycle nonstop. So he finally gets to the train station in Jacksonville, Florida to meet his dad. It turns out his dad thought he was going to take the train. So his dad waited at the train station for five days. And then Charles never came, so he left. So Charles gets, gets to the train station. His dad's not there anymore. So he just hops back on his motorcycle and drives back to Kentucky for another eight days. What in the world? And today it's that. Like we expect to be someplace instantly and, and all, like everything needs to be instant. I mean, that's, I just feel like that's a, a luxury that um, obviously it's good. Right? I, don't want to be, I don't want my kid to ride a motorcycle eight days sleeping on the side of the road. But, but I think we lose a lot um, as well. I mean, look at the protesters about Trump. I mean, they're complaining like, like the world's coming to an end while they're having dance parties outside of his hotels. Like, really? Is your life that horrible now? Let me tell you a story. Mike Slater Show, the Plays Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Slider Crusaders, this is a, a bit of an intro to what I want to talk about in the uh, next hour, which uh, is, is uh, super important about how we make our opinions. Let me back it up, though, first. I'll, I'll get to here. Uh, I'll get to there. Uh, Edmonia Lewis. Have you ever heard of her? E-D-M-O-N-I-A, Edmonia Lewis. I've never heard of her. I talked to her biographer the other day. She was a half-black, half-Native American woman sculptress in the mid-1800s. What? And, and she overcame, obviously, everything and ended up studying in Rome and becoming one of the greatest sculptors in history. Like, what? And, huh? So it's wild because I, we shared the story on my local show, and we had someone call in, DeAndre, and he called in and said, I don't exactly remember, but all he could pick up on was the oppression that she experienced. The discrimination that she experienced, being a black woman uh, in the mid-1800s. And, and he, he, didn't, he didn't focus or pay any mind to the overcoming of that oppression and discrimination. He could only focus on the fact that, that, you know, she went to Rome and he's like, well, that's because she couldn't be successful here because we're so racist. He, he couldn't focus or he could only focus on the fact that she never graduated from college because she faced so much discrimination. And like, yes, those things happened. 
But how about the fact that she was falsely accused of poisoning her roommates, was attacked by a mob, beaten and raped, was arrested for her own safety, put on trial, found innocent, and then went back to the school. So I would say that's a pretty big hurdle. And she overcame it. That's the key part of the story, not the oppression part. It's the overcoming of the oppression. And then going to Rome, yeah, I mean, she went to Rome, but not just because it was horrible here. It was because Rome is where you go if you want to reach the pinnacle of sculpting. I mean, that's, I mean, she was fearless. She wanted to, to be the best. I mean, she, she wouldn't let anything get in her way, as opposed to people who only see oppression. And then oddly, only uh, or want to use that as an excuse in their own lives today, which is fascinating. So I asked the, the biographer three characteristics of Edmonia Lewis, and, and she said, fearless, tenacious, and ambitious. And DeAndre called in and, I don't know, could only focus on the, the victim, anger, angry, and weak or something. I, I, it, was, it was weird. Like, how funny would it be if I had this biographer on, biographer on and I said, oh, so what are three characteristics that, uh, that Ammonia Lewis had that made her so successful? Well, Mike, she was weak, angry, and bitter. <laughs> no, she was fearless, tenacious, and ambitious. So it's just so odd that someone could hear a segment talking about Ammonia Lewis and only walk away with the oppression that she faced. Like, how interesting. Why? Why are people like that? We just project... <laughs> we project our own life experiences and everyone sees things differently, which is, which is fascinating as well. I had the honor the other day of, of taking a tour of the San Diego rescue mission. Your city may have a rescue mission as well. I always thought it was just like a soup kitchen, but it's way more than that. They have a domestic abuse section for women and children to, to go someplace to be safe. They have year long recovery programs. They have transitional housing for men and women. They have a preschool which is essential for these kids who otherwise would be homeless and not getting any education. And then they would show up at first grade with no background. They'd be behind. They would never catch up. They'd, these are the kind of kids who would be in high school with a third grade reading level, right? And the, the thing I love about the rescue mission, and this is true for the rescue mission in your city as well, zero government dollars, none, because the program has a mandatory church, uh, church service twice a day. So if they have that, they can't take any government money. And they don't. Isn't that awesome? So anyway, we're taking a tour of one of the top floors of the downtown rescue mission. It's like six stories, but it's a little bit up on a hill. It was an old hospital. So get up on the top floor, sixth floor, get off the elevator, look to the right, and at the end of the hallway is this giant window, floor-to-ceiling window. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to San Diego before, but it's pretty nice here. And this place, is it's right downtown. It's right on the bay where Charles Lindbergh, first flew his plane as we've been talking about Lindbergh all day and it's stunning it's a stunning view a million dollar view so I walked to the window and I wonder you know what what are the women on this floor oh this was the floor for transitional transitional housing for women so these are women who probably went through the program um I say probably went through that program they could have gone through a different program but they definitely went through some program and now they have a job but it's not you know not enough to just go out on your own and I think they have to pay 200 bucks a week in order to stay there but that's good it teaches them you know financial skills and it's a it's a two-year long thing to help people get up on their feet right 
And I was looking out the window and I said, man, I wonder what the women on this floor see when they look out the window. And how's it different than what I see when I look out the window? Think about what these women have been through. Domestic abuse, different addictions. They've probably lived on the street for a while, but made it through a program. They're doing better. They got a job. All right, they're getting up on their feet. I'm excited. So imagine a woman who's experienced all that and is now doing much better. What do they see when they look out the window? And I asked that to some people and, and I got some of their answers, but I remember I talked to the, before I asked the women, I asked the, the guy who was giving me the tour and he said, well, it depends where they are in their life. Now, just to, so you can see what's out this window from this view, you can see cruise ships in the port. It's right next to the airport. You can see airplanes coming in from all around the world. Right across the street is a giant new apartment complex. No doubt the rent's four grand for a 800 square foot apartment. I'm not even kidding. Beautiful, stunning apartments. Little Italy is just below with super expensive restaurants. The highway, the five is right there. So you see all these nice cars driving by. Beautiful boats in the harbor, like stunningly beautiful boats. Million dollar boats. You got the Navy just across the bay, uh, North Island. Coronado, it's where the SEALs train. Like, you can see all this stuff from this view. It's unbelievable. I thought, man, what did these women see? So one woman who's early in her recovery, she may see a plane landing and say, man, I'll I'll never have enough money to ride on an airplane. And another woman who's nearing the end of her recovery may say, I can't wait to travel the world like those people which may be something she never thought before. Someone may see one of the, the cruise ships. Sometimes there's two, three cruise ships in port. Someone may see a cruise ship there and get bitter and say, ah, a bunch of rich people. It's not fair. It's not fair. But then another woman could see that cruise ship and say, oh, I can't wait to take my little girl on a cruise one day. Someone may see the giant apartment complex and say, oh, those people just got lucky and they've hate in their heart for them. Why aren't I that lucky? They're lucky I'm not. And another woman may say, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to make the right decisions in my life from now on. And maybe one day. It was just such a powerful moment because it just really ingrained in me that we can all be looking out the exact same window, but see completely different things and interpret them completely differently. And just after learning about Edmonia Lewis and being inspired by what she could overcome, And then someone else listens to the same interview and was discouraged by the oppressive country that America is. Gosh, I I think it's, it's all the more proof that we need to articulate what is true as much as possible. So as many people as possible can see what is true and what is possible. That needs to be the goal. All right, so in the next, maybe I can do a little bit in the next segment, but definitely at the top of this hour, I want to spend some time and talk about how people form opinions. We need to understand how this works. And once you do, everything will be, everything will move in slow motion. That's the best way I can, I can describe it. So we'll do that coming up. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater. So we'll do that. We'll do all that next about how people form opinions, how we all form opinions. Uh, I just got four minutes here, so I want to share a quick story here. Again, I, 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 you're going to hear a lot of this next few weeks. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant and Charles Lindbergh stories. I just they're uh, they're stunning, but um, there's good lessons here. So this one blew my mind. So Ulysses S. Grant served heroically in the Mexican American War. As I'm reading about what he did in the Mexican American War, I realize that I know almost nothing about the Mexican American War. So I look forward to learning more about that uh, after I'm done with this book. But after that, he, he was in the army and he got stationed in California. So I, or a couple places, but then ultimately in California, his wife was back in Illinois. So he was away from his wife who had one son who he just met a couple times. And his second son, he, he never met at that point. His wife would send him letters. And in one of the letters, it had a, a, a outline of his son's hand the son that he never met before. And he just got so lonely. I mean, it would take we like a month for a letter to, to make it from California to Illinois. He became super lonely and depressed. And that's where he started to drink. I don't think he ever had a drink of alcohol before that. So he gets drunk. He gets in an argument with the, the superiors in the military above him. And he's either going to be court-martialed or he has to quit. So he quits, quits the military, moves back to Illinois, a disgrace, total disgrace. His uh, dad was, incredibly embarrassed this town looked down on him because here we have this west point grad who had to drop out of the military his father-in-law was wealthy ulysses s grant had no money so his father-in-law didn't like him he begged his father-in-law for money didn't give him any he begged his dad for a job his dad wouldn't even give him a job in his leather factory his tannery he had to beg his mom to get his dad to give him a job so for seven years so he failed on a ton of different businesses in California and he just couldn't get anything to work in Illinois as well. Seven years he could barely support his family. Civil war breaks out. He wanted to rejoin the military. He didn't think he ever would again, but for different reasons he thought this was this was a time he 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 needed to serve. So he asked all these military people, they wouldn't help him, they wouldn't give him the time of day. He traveled two hundred and fifty miles. Now this is you know eighteen sixty, so that's a long way to the capital, 260 miles to the capital to meet with the governor, right? He's, he wants to meet with the governor and ask for a position back in the military. So he gets there in Springfield and the Capitol building is packed with people, all these people wanting the same thing. So he could only meet with the governor's assistant. Couldn't get a meeting with the governor himself. So he talks with the governor's assistant, tells him his story. And I can't express enough how heroically he served in the Mexican-American War. He did some incredible things. He was, kid, he was just a kid at that point. The governor's assistant concludes that Grant was, quote, rather short-necked. And his features did not indicate any high grade of intellectuality. <laughs> what? He looked stupid. Short, weak, and looked stupid. That's what the governor's assistant concluded so he's super dejected and before he hops on the train he decides to eat dinner at a local hotel he eats his dinner he's walking out and he's just sort of standing by the front door for a minute in walks the governor who is about to eat at the same hotel grant stops the governor the governor Gives him a position in the military. Three years later, he's the commanding general of the Union Army. 
and then the President of the United States. What? What? Like, and it's amazing. The book I'm reading, it's called American Ulysses, kind of like skips over this thing. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you, you're telling me, okay, what if Grant left town the night before or that, or that afternoon as opposed to staying around for dinner? What if he ate at a different restaurant? What if he had an earlier dinner? What if he had a later dinner? What if the other guy, what if the governor, whoever he was meeting, wanted to meet at a different place or at a different time or walked in the back door? Or Grant went to the bathroom at that moment. Like, what? So he never never would have got back in the military? Never would have become general and then president? What's the moral of the story for you? What's the moral of that story? I was talking about it with some friends the other day. And um, someone said, luck. You know, way it goes. And someone said, no, 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 not luck. Luck. To say something like that is luck. It insults God. It insults his sovereignty. It, it insults his, his control. And they said it's, it's perseverance and providence. So on his side, it's perseverance. Never giving up, never giving up, never giving up, never giving up. And then, but I mean, for God, that's the providence. Perseverance and providence. I like that. I put that story on Facebook. You can you can check it out and share it. And uh, John wrote, true grit leading to divine appointment. And that's pretty good. <coughs> true grit leading to divine appointment. It just blows my mind that if he... And what if, what if he never joined the military again? And then he wasn't, you know, the union didn't have an amazing general lost the war i mean truly like the confederate could have won because of this then we'd have two different countries and then like what would what would two have looked like if we had like what that that counter history there just blows my mind and it all happened possibly because of a chance encounter at the hotel how can that be all right coming up next how do we form opinions we need to know this and once you know it it'll be like you're in the matrix like everything will be in slow motion for you it'll be great got that next read the word listening to mike slater Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.